It's exciting to see all that next generation. Our, our children's <clears throat> workers wear bracelets that say, not on our watch, as they try and reach the next generation for Christ. And what you saw on that screen uh, was uh, Dr. Bradford, who's been here since 1958, talking about the innovation of Northwest. The changes that have gone on here to reach people, the next generation, for Christ. In 1985, a slogan began to challenge the church to go to places it had never been before. The campaign was called By Faith to New Horizons. But the campaign was not just about raising money to upgrade the facilities of the church. It was about a vision for reaching people in our community, for being a lighthouse of the gospel. Inside the cover on this booklet, the prayer was written. I'm gonna read you that prayer, it's on the screen there. It says, oh Lord, what great and mighty things you desire to do through our church. You have placed it in the middle of a great city. It is to be a lighthouse of the gospel. Now, O Lord, give us spiritual eyes of faith. Prepare us and guide us into new horizons of faith, ministry, and outreach. Let Northwest be your church doing your will. Father, help us to see our individual role in this great step of faith. Create in us a willingness to be a channel through which you provide the needs of our church. What a prayer. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise for even having the foresight back in 1985 to know what our life would be like in 2020. This prayer and the sacrifice, I, I talked to Dr. Jordan, I had lunch with him or breakfast with him last week, and when I talked to him about this, his eyes lit up. And Dr. Jordan is going to be here with us in, in two weeks from now, and he's going to be preaching during this series. But that prayer, that heart, that sacrifice of these people led to a great era and history of Northwest Baptists. Over one million dollars was raised and not only were the facilities upgraded but a heart to do whatever it takes to reach people was birthed through prayer and a commitment to the Lord. Last week, we looked at some of our church's slogans way back when, where they love a feller and where the visitor is never a stranger. And this week, we look at the, at the innovation, the ingenuity, the stick to the creativity of Northwest to reach people for Christ. We have been leaders of doing whatever it takes even if it's outside the box, to get the gospel into the hearts of people. In 1969, Northwest started a singles ministry to reach people who were single. Some of you uh, enjoy the fruits of that ministry as you were married in that ministry. <laughs> if you were married in that ministry, raise your hands this morning. We have a few here. Yeah, we got a few back there. Yeah. That ministry was the first single adult ministry in Oklahoma for Southern Baptists in 1969. The title of that ministry or the slogan for that ministry was Christ was a single adult. Pretty, pretty exciting there. Another one of the new horizons of Northwest was that um, many different cultures and many different people groups would be a part of the body here in Northwest in one way or another, either meeting on campus or being a part of our body, <clears throat> planting or hosting multi-ethnic groups on our campus, such as a Cambodian 
uh, people group, the Vietnamese, the Korean, the Zomi, the Mandarin, and even the Spanish, Espanol, having one church in multiple congregations, a new horizon in which God would give the nations to us to reach them for Christ and to build them up to be their own churches. Another new horizon was the, the aspect of discipleship at Northwest was the invention of one-on-one with God in 1970, a path of discipleship for many in this room and many all over the world. As you saw in the video, Northwest started Hope Pregnancy Clinics back in 1986 and has reached many, many women and men through that ministry, saving thousands of babies. One of our own, Herman Reese, started CBMC, which has reached thousands of businessmen in their work and discipling them. And I, one thing Kurt Goss said is, uh, was a new horizon was they started these parties with the purpose in which they would have parties in their homes and reaching people in more recent years, there's been pushes for home groups, the building of the, the MAC gym, the multi-site campuses, which we were one of the first to do in the Southern Baptist world back in, in 2001, the invention of community advance and reaching um, young people who are struggling to get through school and have the life skills needed to advance in their education and in their home and give them jobs and dreams and visions to fulfill in the workplace. And we can't forget the new horizon of the singing Christmas tree, right, at that time. I heard uh, that Paul Kieka was actually at the top of the Christmas tree at one time. That was just a rumor, but I confirmed that this morning with him as he was at the top. We've done many different things to reach people for Christ, all in the name of Christ. All of these things being led by the Holy Spirit to make disciples. But by faith now, we're looking forward to new horizons. Knowing that God, as he has given us a vision in the past, will give us a vision in the future This morning we look at a passage in which Paul tells us to be the whatever it takes church to reach people. You know what? One of the greatest things a pastor can have is people who come up to him and say, what is it going to take to reach our city? What can I do What can I give? Where can I serve? And that's who we are. That's who we are at Northwest. Paul is about to tell us that he becomes a servant of all, that he might save some by faith to new horizons. Let's turn with me in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 19 through 23. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 957 in the Pew Bible in front of you. And as we stand in honor of reading God's word, we'll stand and read it together. We're in chapter 9, verse 19 to start. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Verse 19 of chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, 
that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. You may be seated the word of God this morning to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture that it reminds us, Father, that there are greater things than our needs, our wants, our desires, but what is greatest is your needs, your wants, your desires. That you might see all men come to the knowledge of the saving truth of Christ Jesus. Father, we as a people, as a church, humbly submit ourselves to the word of God. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. Going, Lord, what do you want from us? And by faith, Lord, we trust that you are bringing us to new horizons, new visions and dreams amongst your people in which you want to take your church. For it is truly your church, a lighthouse of the gospel. And Father, we ask that we would have the heart to be people that are used by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 1951, there was a movie and featured Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. Some of you may know those names, others may not. The movie was called African Queen. And Catherine Hepburn was a missionary. She went to an indigenous tribe deep into the heart of the jungle and one of the scenes opened up and she is at, at church. She's got her white bonnet on and she's got her white dress on. She's playing the organ in a church service. And the screen pans to the outside of the church with a sign on it, a little tattered sign that says, First Methodist Church, Kungdu. She seems a little flustered when she's playing the organ. She's singing a hymn in English while her brother is sweating as he's in a suit and tie, feverishly waving his arms and trying to get these people in the village to sing this hymn in which he loves. Only they can't. They can't because they don't speak English. So he ends up hearing this awful noise that's emanating and more wailing than singing coming from the congregation. And the, the, the camera pans to the audience who, who looks disinterested. One young man has a, has a hymnal except it's upside down. And they keep playing. Missionaries trying to sing louder so that people will understand the gospel. And then you hear this whistle in the boat coming by the African queen, and in the boat is Humphrey Bogart, and he begins speaking the language of the people. One of the people on the boat is playing a native instruments on, on a wooden block and Bogart gets off the boat and people just cling to him. They run to him. They seem to follow him. The chief goes directly to him and greets him, speaking his language to him. People began to leave the church service because they know that he's here. It ends with him standing and peering inside the church and looking and chuckling at the church as he throws his cigar on the ground, ruining the service because it causes a commotion. 
You see, the scene here is a depiction of someone trying to share the gospel and yet not truly understanding the concept of becoming all things to all people that I might win some. Instead of learning the language of the people, the missionaries wanted to sing to them in English. Instead of learning how to play their instruments, they brought their own, their organ. Instead of dressing like them, they wanted to make sure they had their suit and tie on. They felt as if they were going to help these people. And yet created so many stumbling blocks and obstacles in the path of the message of the gospel. The world, which is represented by the riverboat captain, Humphrey Bogart, on the other hand, won the hearts of the people. How did he do that? He spoke their language. He listened to their instruments. He talked to their leaders, their chief. And the result was the people followed him. When Paul says to the Jew, I became as a Jew to win the Jew to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law in order that I might win those outside the law, this is what he means. He set aside his own freedoms, his own desires, his own things that he grasped so tightly to, to make sure that there is no hindrances to the message of the gospel. No obstacles. For people to hear the truth that Jesus saves. This is a humorous way. If you've ever seen the movie, it's a humorous way of saying the message never changes. But how you bring it to the people does. And Paul makes it clear here that he has made himself a servant to all men in order that he might save some. This is what we would call love. Loving people enough to set aside our own preferences for someone who needs to see and hear the gospel of Christ. In fact... Isn't it the gospel itself? Jesus himself setting aside his own needs, his own desires, his own preferences for the sake of others. Father, let this cup pass from me, not my will, but yours. This is by faith to new horizons. Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church. And part of, in the letter, he talks about the selfishness and the filth of this church. He tells the church, be who God has created you to be. Go back to the gospel, understanding the knowledge of truth, and return to who God has created you to be, Corinthian church. In the previous section, Paul has just said, in chapter 9, I would rather lay down my right to receive money from the church in, that, in order that there may be no obstacles in the way of others receiving Christ. You can look at that in, in chapter 9, verse 12. This is what he says. He says, if others share this rightful claim on you, oh, I'm not, that's not it. Obstacles. Where are we? Yes. Anyway, in other news, but he does say that in 12. No, it's not 12. I'm going to, it's, it's, it's got to be there. No, I'm just kidding. All right, I'm gonna, somebody has it in there, somebody's reading it, but it does say in chapter 9 that he would not put these obstacles in the path. 
Now in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. This is our first point this morning. It's, it's from chat, verse 19. The church removes barriers to the gospel. The church removes barriers to the gospel. This is the heart behind a soul winner, to removing all barriers so that they hear the message of the gospel by itself. Martin Luther said this in The Freedom of a Christian, a book that he wrote. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Now, these two things seem to contradict one another but both are Paul's own statements. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave or a servant of all. And in Romans 13, 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. Love by its very nature is ready to serve and ready to be subject to those whom are loved. So Paul's strategy is what? To love the unbeliever. To be a servant to the unbeliever. That's exactly what he says in Galatians 5.13. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Use your liberty to love by serving. That's what Paul says he is doing here in verse 19. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all. That's what Paul and Jesus mean by love. What does it mean to be a servant to all? It means to lay down your own rights. It's like when you're first married, right? Some of you are newly married. You understand this, but you're, you're still living in this fantasy world, right? In this, in this cloud nine world, you have unicorns and rainbow bunnies and popsicle trucks in your front yard, and everything goes right, right? You're trying to impress your spouse all the time. Oh, honey, I'll, I'll do the dishes. No, I'll do them. Right? I'll mop the floors. No, I'll, I'll do that so I can mop the floors. Would you like me to cook lobster tails and shrimp linguine tonight, dear? No, I mean, that is newly married life, right? It should be. It should be all of life. But, but Paul is really hitting at the heart of the issue. Is it my church or is it God's church? Has the gospel that Christ laid down his life really taken root in my heart to a point where I'm willing to lay down my life for others, to do what Christ did for me? Am I willing to do that for others? There, there's, a, there's a book on church revitalization, and it, it's depicting this type of heart and understanding, and it's a fictional story, but... The book is entitled, Who Stole My Church? It's by Gordon McDonald, and it tells a story about how leaders propose to upgrade the technology in their, their, their sanctuary, and the leadership of the church assumes there'll be a slam-dunk endorsement from the church members, and all of a sudden, something happens, right? Not, not in the church, right? No, but it does happen. The congregation starts snowballing complaining about all of these changes and gets out of control and the pastor asks some of these people to gather together and discover what it looks like to love God's church, to love one another. And in the discovery group, the first time they meet, one of the ladies says, all I know is that someone stole my church and I'd like to get it back. That's what she says in the group. 
And this is the premise of the book. And, and in this discovery group, they discover that it's not my church. It's God's church. And he does what he wants. And oftentimes, the church changes to reach the next generation. The pastor lovingly walks them through the Paul, what Paul is saying. We're just simply trying to take out all the obstacles so that people can hear and receive the message of Christ. And in some, some ways, the church often has issues with the programs or the, the music or the way people dress or how things used to be. And in the book, McDonald uses a story from Isaac Watts as a lesson of how change can bring about glory of God. He tells the story of young Isaac, a young boy in the 1600s, walking home with his father from church. His father is the pastor, and young Isaac looks up to him and is complaining about the music. Dad, it's not right. I don't even know what they're saying in the music. I don't understand it. And, I, and the pastor, the wise man, says to his son, Well, son, why don't you mend the matter? I don't even know what that means in today's world, but that's what he said. And Isaac went on to write... Song after song after song, and we still sing them today. When I survey the wondrous cross, joy to the world, and many more influential songs. Donald, who's the writer of this book, concludes that because Isaac's father was willing to change the style of music in his church, we still sing those songs today. But it's never about the songs that we sing, the technology that we have, or the attire we wear. It's never about what the building looks like or who it's catered to. It has always been about being a lighthouse of the gospel to this community in desperate need of Jesus. I'm so thankful for our saints here at Northwest, they've been so loving to me, my family, continuing to allow this church to reach the next generation for Christ. Embracing change in methods, but never changing the message. And it was verse 12, by the way. I'm, I'm looking back at it. It is verse 12. It's the second part of verse 12. I just didn't read the whole verse. It says this, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. There you go. Sorry, I, I lost it there for a minute. We all mess up. That's good. Free of charge. Thank you. I love it. Dina gets, gets excited about my messages, and I like that. Embracing change of methods, but never changing the message. Amen? Speaking of that, we are currently entering a time as a church, and I wanted to be the first to tell you guys this because, um, well... I wanted you to hear it from my mouth, and I want to be open and honest about all of these things that happen amongst our body as a church. But a few, uh, a while back, the Zomi Church, in which uh, was started in our church and then moved to the building across the street in which we own, they've been there for five years. And recently, in the past few months, the pastor of that church came to us, the finance team, myself, and said, we would like to buy this building um, they've been there for five years. They want to own it so that they will own their church. They will own the building. They can fix it up and be um, their own people, their own building and their own church. 
And so we are beginning to pray through the process of that. We are actually um, providing the council and that will hopefully take a proposal from the finance team to the council, to the deacons, and then to you as the church. But I want you to begin praying about that process as we see what the Lord's will and his desire is to sell that property to these people. God is good. It's an exciting day for us and an exciting day for them. And we hope that the Lord is glorified in this process. So verse 20, hopefully we will use the proceeds of that to continue the renewal project. So verse 20, where are we? We are here. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Our second point this morning is this. The church does whatever it takes for the gospel to be heard. The church does whatever it takes for the gospel to be heard. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I think the first question we need to ask ourselves to understand the heart of this thought process is this. What is Paul, peop- Paul saving people from? What, what exactly is Paul saving people from? Is it their stinky marriage? Is it a life of poverty? Is it their depression? Is it their self-confidence? See, I, I believe that if we understand correctly what we are being saved from and the gospel in its entirety, then we will have a passion and a heart to save people. Paul tells us in some of his writings What we are saved from, it is the very wrath of God. Romans 5, 9 says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The judgment of sinners, the wrath, of a holy and righteous God. That's what we're saving people from. And this, this is good news. The gospel is good news. Not that your, that your family will be fixed and your marriage will be fixed and all these things will be fixed and you'll get your life right and you won't have depression and anxiety. No, it is that you're saved. From the wrath of God, the justice and the judgment of God because of God's provision through Christ. Sometimes we never sacrifice for the gospel because we feel that it's just another way to handle our psychological needs. Do you believe that if the gospel never fixed all of your earthly problems, it would still be good news? Do you believe that? That will overflow into how you live your life, how you love unbelievers. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. You see, the alternative of the wrath of God being in the state of a sinner in the hands of a righteous and holy God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is what Paul wins people for. That they may have eternal life. 
And this is what he wants to be a fellow partaker of. So having the correct understanding of this gospel and what people are being saved from gives you a heart and a desire to lay down your own preferences, your own culture, your own time, your own freedoms. Because we're asking ourselves all the time, is it worth it? Is it worth it to be exhausted on spring break during champs camp? Is it worth it to spend money going overseas on a mission trip? By the way, uh, four guys are preparing to go to North Africa in April. We need your prayers. We're supposed to leave right after Easter. There's something called the virus or something. I'm not sure what it is, but it has the world in panic mode. People will do whatever it takes to keep themselves safe. Will we do whatever it takes to see people saved from the wrath of God? To win the Jew, Paul becomes like a Jew. Paul went really far on this. He had Timothy circumcised. Acts 16.3 says this, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him. Because the Jews who were in those places for it, they all knew that his father was a Greek. Circumcision is nothing, Paul says later. But he had Timothy circumcised. Why? So that he could win the Jew. Paul's not going to be eating a cheeseburger, breaking open his tent shop on Saturday, going, I don't know why people aren't accepting this gospel. No, he's going to be respectful of the people, honoring their Sabbath, performing their customs, celebrating their holidays. Not because he has to, but he doesn't want to put stumbling blocks in the way. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though I'm not under the law. To those outside the law, as one outside the law. Not outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Two things here. He's not going to cross the line of obedience to Christ to win people to Christ. That that doesn't make sense. He's not going to become an adulterer to win the adulterer. No, he's not going to do that. He's not going to become a thief to win the thief. He's not going to become a drunkard to win the drunkard. This is the tension of the Christian life. We're called to be separate from the world yet live in the world for the sake of Christ. If we have no non-Christian friends, we miss the point of being the church. If if our non-Christian friends begin to have more influence on us than we do them, then we miss being the church. It's a fine line. How do you do that? You lead with the gospel. You live the gospel. You teach the gospel. You proclaim the gospel. The gospel becomes the stumbling block, not anything else. He talks about the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Galatians 6.2 says this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says earlier in Galatians, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So bearing one another's burdens, this is fulfilling the law of Christ. You have the whole law fulfilled in this love for one another. We said a new commandment I gave to you last week in John. He's talking about love. Love is the answer. Love for people. Leading with the gospel. Letting the gospel be that which is offensive. Not in the way we act, not in the way we talk, not in our cultural differences. My question to you is this. What obstacles are you putting up to keep people from attending your community group? What obstacles are you putting up to keep people from attending your, our church? We've been tearing down these obstacles lately. Being a welcoming church, right? We want to welcome people here. They want to, we want them to feel as welcome as possible. It's an obstacle that goes away because they feel welcome. 
having a new check-in system for our kids. They know their kids are safe. It's an obstacle out of the way. Having people in the parking lots, giving them a welcome bag, redesigning the website, having community groups and, and functioning well in those community groups, having a welcome center, showing love for one another, grace to those outside, all of these things are tearing down obstacles which people would hear the message of the gospel. This is a daily conscious effort to extend grace to people who may look, act, talk, speak differently. How about our baptisms last week? Anybody was a fan of that? I, I was. Yeah, that was great. I told Mauricio this week, and, and you have to understand this. Different cultures have different times, different things, right? Mauricio's supposed to be here at 11.50. He doesn't show up till 12.15. I go, what's going on, man? I was just preaching, Rob. I was just going. All right. Okay. That's great. But I told Mauricio this week, if your congregation looks and feels and acts the exact same as ours, we have done something wrong. Because you're reaching a different culture he is becoming like them in order to reach them. Who is the weak here? To the weak I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that I might, by all means, I might save some. Who's the weak? I think he gives us a hint in 1 Corinthians 8. And in that hint, he describes people who are in the church talking about eating food sacrificed to idols and causing them to be a stumbling block. And in this section, he talks about the weak not having an understanding of the grace of God or being mildly legalistic within the church. Paul's even saying here that it's not just those outside of the church he's talking about, but also those in the church. May we find grace for one another to lay our lives down for people that all the obstacles are out of the way and people can see Jesus, not us. We want them to see Jesus. My, my kids, when they're in crowds, they're five and seven, so they're, they're relatively short. When they're in crowds, they have a hard time seeing, and they're little, and they have all these obstacles in their way. But they want this clear picture, right? And they always want to see. There's strollers and buildings and people. And so when we get to a crowd recently, I just throw them up on Daddy's shoulders and they can see clearly. That's what we want to do for people that come to our church to hear the gospel from us. We want them to see Jesus clearly. Not with any obstacles in the way. Be able to see him. Verse 23 I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. This is point number three. The church shares in the blessings of the gospel. The church shares in the blessings of the gospel. Many times in life, everything that you do is about the heart attitude. You can all do, you can say and do things and it be self-centered and selfish interest. You can say all the right things. As a pastor, say, well, I want to do this so more people can hear me, my message. Say, I want to do this to reach a younger generation. But Paul says here, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I have to ask myself that question often as a pastor. Why are you doing this? 
Is this for God's glory? Is this what the Lord wants you to do? I love this passage. If you didn't get paid, Rob, would you still do what you do? If no one came, would you still do what you do? I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That's where I want to be. I'm, I'm going to be imperfect for sure. I'm not perfect. That's where we all should strive to be. But we get to share in the blessings of seeing people set free from sin, of the wrath of God being removed from them and the blood of Christ covering them because of what Jesus did on the cross. You see, Jesus never sinned, and yet he took the penalty of sin upon his shoulders on the cross. You see, Paul understands something here, and I think that we have to understand this as a church. That if we have a heart to set aside our own desires to love people, to ask for the interest of others above our own interest, we ourselves are partaking of the gospel. This is why giving is such an important part. And by the way, we're doing an excellent job. Who would have thought at the end of February we'd be ahead of our giving, right? Praise the Lord. But that's why giving is such an important part of being a partaker of the gospel because Christ gave his life to us we are just exercising the gospel in our own life. You're practicing the gospel. Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's hard to love people who are in their sin. I'm not going to lie. It is hard. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we can reach out into a lost and dying world that is living in sin and, and love them. Not my will, but yours be done. The very fact that Christ gave his life up for sinners is the reason why Paul encourages the church to do the same. By faith to new horizons is more than just a slogan. It is the heart of a church that shares in the blessings of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your truth. We thank you for the challenge that we have. We know that we are imperfect human beings that from time to time, Father, become self-centered, self-righteous. And Father, we go back to the gospel. That we are saved by grace through faith not by works, so that no man can boast. We are undeserving of Christ's love for us and that he lavished his love for us on the cross, shedding his blood even while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Father, we know that we are unworthy to be the church, but Christ has made us worthy. We rejoice that you have set us free from sin and death, that the wrath of God, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The wrath of God has been put aside. 
And Father, you have given us life. Now may we share that with others. May we become a servant as Jesus became a servant. And love people where they are. Not asking them to clean themselves up and then come. But asking them to come as they are. And let Christ come and clean them up. Lord, give us a heart for the nations. Give us a heart for people that do not know the truth of the gospel. Father, let the hearts in this room burn for people who are in need of salvation, who are in need of the gospel, the good news that you can be saved from sin and have eternal life. Lord, give us a heart that is by faith trusting that you will take us to new horizons, that you will take us to new places, to new people in need of the gospel. We yearn, Father, to do what you want us to do, to be a part of your will in our life. We do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Kyle's going to play in a time to reflect these prayer guides. We did it last year, 30 days leading up to Easter. My dad talked to you about it. You put a name in here, two names, however many names you want to put in. Say, I'm committing 30 days to pray for them. In these 30 days, I'm committing to pray. I'm committing to ask them to come to Easter service. I don't care if they live in Seattle, Washington. They might come. And I'm willing to share the gospel with them. The good news that Jesus saves. You don't have to know all the answers. Tell people that you love them and that God loves them. 